As of September 10th, 2023, there have been 9,614 civilian deaths reported in Ukraine since Russia's latest invasion began on February 24th, 2022. And in Gaza, the latest numbers of civilian casualties in just over a month are estimated to be over 13,000. These scenes of unfathomable death and destruction have displaced millions, breaking apart families and disjointing entire communities, ripples that will have lasting effects for years to come. But there is also a quieter victim of these wars. The land, the water, the plants, animals, and fungi that call those places home. I've been thinking a lot about how these conflicts are impacting the ecosystems within them, and I wanted to talk to somebody about it. And that's how I found Alexei. As a Ukrainian scientist, Alexei knows better than most how these wars shape and change not only people, but amphibians, insects, and birds. I asked Alexei about his life and work before the war, the idyllic lands he once explored, and also life after. The bombing, the militarization of the world around him, and an ongoing race to save invaluable data sets before they're lost forever. He's smart, he's candid, and he has a lot to say. My name is Serena Simons, and I hope you'll listen to his story on today's episode of the Earth to Humans podcast. Alexey Marushak. I'm a junior scientist, junior researcher at uh, Ivan Schmelhausen Institute of Zoology of National Academy of Scientists of Sciences of Ukraine, and uh, I'm uh, one of the members of uh, Ukrainian Nature Conservation Group, non-governmental organization, and uh, there I am the chief data manager, so I'm the person responsible for data collection, data publication that is connected to biodiversity. Something like that. Have you um, lived in Ukraine your whole yes, life? Yes, yes. I was born in Kiev and I'm still in Kiev. What was that like growing up there? Well, quite fun. <laughs> that's that's probably the, the shortest way to, to describe it. So nothing to complain about. Uh, nothing to complain about a lot. So except of our neighbors from the east. <laughs> so um, yeah, actually... It, it was fun. I like my country. I I'm patriot of my country, and um, well, if I had a choice, I think I would choose to live here. Um, can you describe kind of a day in the life of your job before the war started? Well, um, so 
as I'm a scientist, uh, my main day uh, was connected to different scientific activities. Sorry, there is my parrot here who wants to be a part of the interview oh, wow. too. Yeah. Oh my gosh, is she's gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, so uh, my typical day consisted of different um, activities connected to science. So if it is summer or spring or early autumn, it was uh, mainly uh, field studies anywhere in Ukraine, from the east to the west. Um, also some uh, time spent in the lab, uh, processing data that I collected during my field research. And as well, um, I uh, was uh, part of different nature conservation activities, because uh, I'm a volunteer. I had been a volunteer uh, in different nature conservation projects, uh, and uh, Ukrainian Nature Conservation Group was one of such projects, and it's and it is still uh, going on. And uh, so I was involved in different activities, like for example, searching for rare species of plants and animals, create creation of new objects of nature reserve fund, implementation of different European practices in Ukrainian nature conservation legislation, and so on and so forth. So let us say. Um, uh, I had no time to to, to be lazy. Um, for that kind of field work, when you were looking for specific species of plants and animals, what did you enjoy about that? What did what did that look like? Uh, so I just enjoy traveling. So the best way for me to like to spend time anyway is traveling. So as as mm, the more uh, places, people, and impressions you meet in your life, the better your life is. It's my personal, uh, like my personal belief, and uh, it it is still uh, unchanged. So I still want to travel as as much as possible, and so uh, this type of activity allowed me like to to fulfill this this desire for for traveling. So. Whether I am in the mountains somewhere, or I am somewhere on the sea, on the seashore, on the river bank, uh, in some sort of swamps of northern Ukraine or forests or something like that, that's that's the main thing that I like. So that's the best uh, thing of my of my everyday activity. Got it. And your colleague um, Tatiana told me that you're a herpetologist specifically. What do you like about reptiles? Uh, I like them because most people don't like them. Because um, unfortunately, I don't know why. Maybe due to some low level of uh, of eco education or some. I, I I don't know why, but some people. But most people don't like them. Uh, some people hate them because they don't understand these animals and uh, from my side it is like like the way to pay respect to these creatures like to love them to enjoy them to study them and therefore to um, to explain uh, their nature to my to my pe to people in Ukraine like to raise their awareness about the fact that these animals are important for us they are important for biodiversity they are not like um, they are not uh, some evil creatures or something like that they're the same as cats and dogs and they just don't have fur and 
that's not the 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 reason why we should hate them. So I like snakes, I like lizards and frogs and something like that. We understand that these animals they are um, uh, consumers of the first stage, so they are or or on the, of the second stage. So for example, if we have a plant, we have an insect that feed on this plant and we have a frog that feeds on this act on on this insect so they are consumers of the third uh, of the second stage and they are food for consumers of higher stages for example birds we all like beautiful eagles we all like beautiful cranes or something like that uh, storks for example and we sometimes um, forget about how many frogs and snakes these beautiful birds have to consume like to grow strong and to like to become some national symbols or something like that so they are a uh, food base for many many other animals for other species uh, that we really like uh, especially on their early ontogenetic stages when we have a lot of tadpoles and the small froglets or toadlets uh, that are really numerous and uh, we know that about only 10 or 5% of them grow to be sexually mature and to breed again and others 90% become just food for other animals and therefore if we don't have enough of uh, of amphibians and reptiles unfortunately this will result in the decreasing of population of other animals uh, also, if we have so if we have enough, if if we have a lot of frogs and lizards, snakes, etc., then the environment is quite healthy and quite good. Uh, also, uh, we can uh, some of them can occupy only really fresh water bodies like springs, streams, and something like that. So if we have uh, if we have some newts or salamanders or some specific species of frogs in certain water body then it means that it is clean enough it can be sometimes drinkable and that's okay also if we for example find some some representatives of herpetofauna with morphological abnorma abnormalities like additional limbs additional toes uh, different abnormalities of coloration and so on and so forth this will mean that something is wrong in their habitat so there are some pollutants maybe or their um, population is too small and inbreeding uh, uh, leads to presence of some abnormalities. So the, they are like the first uh, thing to look at to understand whether uh, this habitat is okay or not okay. Thank you. That was really thorough. <laughs> um, can you take me back to the day you learned about Russia's attack on Ukraine and how that made you feel and kind of what was going through your mind when that happened? Uh, well, so um, so actually Russia's aggression uh, towards Ukraine started not in 2022, it started in 2014 when they occupied Crimean Peninsula and uh, uh, some regions of the Donetsk and Luhansk uh, regions. Um, but uh, so to me as an inhabitant of Kiev uh, I was worried about it but for me it was something that is distant so it's far from me and let us let, let's be honest I was not as uh, 
nervous about this as for example I was in 2014 but in 2022 uh, so what I did uh, actually in the end of 2021 I actualized all my information in my local uh, military re recruitment service because I'm a man and uh, I have to protect my country uh, in case of need. However, I have absolutely zero military experience because I was a student first, then I was a scientist, and we are not uh, typically uh, recruited to the to the army to this um, regular training that other people have to do. So, with my absolutely zero experience, I I am currently absolute. I was current. I was at the moment of uh, full scale in invasion. I was absolutely useless. <laughs> Uh, as a military unit, so, um, uh, but anyway, I, I actualized my data and we were waiting. Uh, I was one of the, I was one of the many people who didn't believe in it at all. So, uh, for me it was, and it is still, and it still is, absolute nonsense to make a full invasion to the neighboring country in in the beginning of the 21st century, after the World War the first, after the Second World War. I, I, I just couldn't understand why this should happen. And, and okay, they have gathered some military power on the borders. Okay, they can do whatever they want on their territory. Uh, but I didn't believe it till the very beginning of the invasion, uh, in the morning of uh, 24th of February. Um, so we woke up uh, at 4 a.m. Uh, because uh, actually in in the evening of t on t of February 23rd we were celebrating birthday of uh, our friend and uh, we were quite we were quite happy okay let us say we were drunk uh, in the previous evening <laughs> uh, yeah it was birthday and we were like sleeping like <laughs> we, we we just were sleeping like that and uh, at 4 a.m. I heard uh, a doorbell. For some reasons, I don't know why, I thought that some children may be pl playing with my nerves, you know, ring to the bell and, and hide somewhere. So I opened the door and then my, my mind started to work and I understand. So, oh my god, children in 4 a.m. playing with the doorbell on the 17th floor. What? No, uh, so logic doesn't work here. Something is going wrong. And I said, and I heard the notifications from my uh, phone going again and again and again. Yeah, so that's how the invasion started. So um, everybody was shocked. So it's total breakdown of uh, all system of the world that you believed in previously, so it, it was a breakdown of everything, and we absolutely didn't know what to do. We, we heard rockets flying above our house, sometimes they fly above our house even now, and since it's winter now, these bastards are going to try to ruin our electricity and heating system again, so we are mentally prepared prepared, I think. Yeah. Uh, so, we were disorganized, we didn't know what to do, uh, we thought that, okay, 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 uh, now 
politicians will do something with this and let's just wait. We wait for one day. Uh, we uh, collected some food from the nearest store and I should I should mention that uh, there was no panic. It was there was some panic of course, but it was more organized that I expected. So, what I expected, it was like in uh, different, you know, different apocalypse movies, uh, when people started looting everything, all uh, stores are ruined and people are collecting or gathering everything they can. No, nothing of, nothing of this happened, so people were like quite organized, uh, they, were, they were queues uh, to our supermarkets, uh, 10 people go in, 10 people go out, And it was something that when you th uh, when you realized that uh, the society can somehow organize itself, and it was really good thing, because you s you you can see people uh, thinking sober and uh, organize themselves like to do something. Somebody are helping uh, retired people. Somebody are going to the nearest recruitment service. Somebody are evacuating their families outside the big city. It was like, okay, at least somebody knows what to do. Let's not panic. Yeah, and uh, in one day we also evacuated from Kiev to the nearest village. It's like 30 kilometers from Kiev. Yeah, and uh, there we spent uh, the first two and a half months. In, in that neighboring town? Yeah, yeah. It's a village. It's a... Okay like suburban small yeah 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 uh, because there were uh, independent source of water independent source of heat uh, so a, a chimney we didn't know what to do because uh, we are living uh, we, we live uh, on the left bank of Dnieper river which is geographically closer to the to, to Russia and we uh, tried to stay on the right bank using the river as a natural barrier but uh, when we realized that they are invading from Russia they are invading from Belarus so on the right bank as well uh, okay so we were on the closest part to the central Ukraine and it was probably the the safest direction at the time we tried to go to local recruitment service to be involved in forces of territorial defense And there were so many people there that that uh, the officers said to us, guys, if you don't have any military experience, we don't need you. Uh, we have an enough people, we have more than enough people, even if we accept everybody, we don't have guns for everybody, so this is nonsense. Yeah, so we uh, like um, were organized in the patrols in the village, like to patrol it, to defend local people, uh, from burglars, uh, from maybe some lost troops of the enemy, I don't know. And that's how we spent uh, the first two months. Okay, and then after that, did you end up going back to Kiev? Yeah, yes, yes. So uh, after, after the enemies were uh, kicked from the Kiev region, We went back and uh, we 
started to do everything we can to support our forces, Ukrainian military forces, and I'm personally thankful and grateful for every for every soldier of Ukrainian military forces and for every people all over the world for their help. Uh, so we started to like to donate a lot. So all money that I received from my working place, I think 70% went to to donations to refugees to our army everywhere we were buying drones uh, we were buying food um, medicine everything that we can to to help our soldiers to help to help everybody I I was a blood donor and I'm still to donating blood on a regular base every two months uh, for the army and for and for children for example uh, I hope that in several months I will be I, it was my it will be my 40th donation four, four zero. Four zero, yeah yeah I hope yes yeah, so um, so we still continue to do everything so uh, even if you are not uh, in the army even if you are civilian like me uh, there is a strong will to do everything for our uh, for our victory uh, because uh, nobody has a rule to invade another country and to do what they want it's not how it works yeah so far we are still collecting money for drones buying drones I even started a course for civilians uh, to be a drone dri uh, drone pilot <laughs> yeah now uh, I believe that I can do it yeah uh, we uh, collected a lot of uh, money for medication uh, my uh, my brother became an instructor uh, of uh, uh, military medicine uh, so everybody is doing everything they can Wow. Um, it sounds like a lot. It sounds like you've been under a lot of stress. Yeah. Um, is your family also in Kiev? Yeah, my family is completely in Kiev. Everybody is in Kiev. And, uh, well, concerning stress, um, let us say uh, I have survived two revolutions in Ukraine. I have survived COVID. I have survived... Uh, so far uh, the war so stress is so uh, uh, stress is my everyday routine and uh, i don't know if if it is good or bad but uh, for many of us stress is now normal <laughs> we have 3 to 4 like air raid uh, alarms every day we have uh, to worry every day about what is going around us. We have to worry about our families, our friends, uh, just strange, just strangers on the, on the streets. Uh, we have to worry about everything. And um, for, for me, I don't know how, it, how in other societies, but for me, uh, there is a clear understanding that almost every person in Ukraine feels, to some extent, feels it's his or her responsibility for what is going on. And uh, and um, his or her um, importance in participating in this uh, in this situation uh, as a part of our common defense 
against the aggressor. And this is really cool. You know, I, I was wondering too, so with everything that you have going on in your day-to-day -day life, um, what is work like now? Are you, I'm, I'm curious if you're looking at some of those areas where you used to do work um, and field studies and all of that information and data that you collected. And I'm sure a lot of that land has been affected by the war. So can you tell me more about that? Like how you're dealing with that? So um, for me, uh, we were talking about stress. So for me, work is a way to cope with a lot of stress. So when uh, this, when the full invasion started, uh, I started to work more. So the more you work, the more you earn. The more you earn, the more you can donate to your, to the common victory. Um, and uh, well, uh, some of my projects which uh, were going on uh, till the uh, uh, at the moment of invasion, they were closed or terminated. And uh, with Ukrainian Nature Conservation Group, we started to look for new projects because. Uh, the first thing that we thought about is that there are a lot of scientists in Ukraine who became refugees, a lot of biologists who became refugees and who kept their data that they collected for their whole life in a written form, in some notebooks, in some papers and so on. And um, all this information may be destroyed just in a second in a fire or by a rocket or by occupants anyway so the biggest problem was so the biggest problem that we could manage was um, the, the losing of a lot of environmental data and we started to look for projects that would uh, support collecting of this data from these refugees because people have probably some of them had no workplace they need some money like to 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 maintain their life and they have this data and we offer them work so for example we want some project um, aimed on gathering of environmental data from let us say 10 experts we pay these people we collect this data from them they digitalize it we we, we uh, teach them how to do it and we upload it to some open databases for example global biodiversity information facility gbif uh, i think you can find it on google yeah and we started to collect all data we can from everybody on rare animals rare plants rare fungi anything anything that was collected and especially from those areas that are now occupied so from the east from kharkiv sumy chernihiv uh, Donetsk, Luhansk, Kherson, Zaporizhia regions uh, and we start to collect this data because when we deoccupy it uh, only, only then we can discuss some real consequences of the war for the wildlife because before we actually appear on these deoccupied territories and see with our own eyes what still remains there and what disappeared, uh, we can't do any real assessment, unfortunately. And there are a lot of uh, interviewers, a lot of journalists uh, who ask us, 
who ask me, other people from Ukrainian Nature Conservation Group, other experts, so what are the consequences? And unfortunately, every time we have to answer, we don't know, because because uh, if we want to be like accurate, if we want to be professional enough, we need to know what was there before, and that's what we are doing right now, so by collecting these data from previous years of work, and then compare it to the to the real situation. And we won't see the real situation unless the areas are occupied and we can do field research there. And uh, not only they occupied, but also the mind. Because uh, mines are a real disaster and since we, like, as field biologists, we don't need information from roads, we need information from some swamps, from some uh, hard-to-reach areas where the, the mining process will be slower and it will be dangerous for us. So, so far we can only, like, we can only imagine the consequences for the wildlife. Because from one hand we have direct destroy of their natural habitats by fire, by bombs, by everything. We have uh, like uh, Kachovka Dam disaster when a lot of animals were just wiped out to the salt uh, waters of Black Sea and unfortunately a lot of them died. For example, Danube Newts, uh, Triturus Dobrogicus as far as I remember. A lot of them were wiped out and they don't survive in salt water. So probably a really big part of the population was killed. Of course, then direct kills by soldiers. For example, if we talk about snakes. So we have soldiers in the trenches who try to shoot each other and they don't care about rare species appearing in the trenches. If a rare snake appears in the trench, a soldier will think, okay, I have more problems here that can kill me and I don't know what the type of this snake is. I will kill it just, just in case just in case it is venomous. This is a clear logic of a soldier, logic of a soldier, but for us as a, as a scientist, we don't support this and we would like soldiers from both sides at least not to kill animals. Unfortunately, it is impossible. Uh, so, a lot of animals die in such trenches, a lot of animals die. But from other hand, for example, if we have certain territory that was deoccupied and civilians and uh, other people are not allowed in the, uh, to, to, to get back, this territory becomes a, a sort of a reserve because there is no activity of a human there, uh, no humans are allowed to go there because of, because of the danger of mines and different uh, bombs that are, that remained unexploded and animals can feel they're quite safe so there there might be even a scenario when uh, the deoccupied territories might become a really promising objects of nature reserve fund surprise this also this is also one of the possible scenarios and uh, this is also something that we should think about uh, what is more, uh, there is another uh, danger for our nature. Uh, since about 30% of the agricultural lands 
on the east and on the south will remain dangerous for our agricultural sector. So we won't be able to use these fields to grow something there, if, even if they are unmined and they are safe for the machinery and for people. Uh, there is a really intensive pollution with chemicals and anyway no crops can be grown there and we have quite big population of people and we have to export grains and crops and so on uh, because Ukraine exported a lot for to Africa to Asia to to other countries and we need some lands like to compensate this where to where should we get it? Of course, from the last parts of wild nature that remains. And in these terms, at least, at least somehow logical will be making the deoccupied territories objects of a nature reserve fund, leave them alone, let animals and natural complexes to be restored there instead of the areas that of nature that will be used for unfortunately will be used for agriculture yeah so this is probably this is probably the the most complicated question and i can't answer it at once and uh, and stop speculating on it unfortunately everybody needs to eat i need i need to eat my family need to eat uh, hundreds and thousands and uh, millions of people need 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 something to eat and um, as, an, as a nature conservationist, uh, I'm against using, I'm against plowing of uh, uh, additional lands, but then we will need some alternatives, and so far I can't see these alterna alternatives. I hope that I am mistaken, and there are some alternatives, and I'm just mm -hmm. not having all the information. Yeah. I know, I know we... Um... I, I understand that we won't really know the full effects of the war on the environment for probably many years to come. Um, but what is your sense of at least the species that you worked with? You know, um, amphibians in particular absorb a lot of the pollutants in the environment and are some of the first species to be affected by some of this devastation. Um, are you hopeful that some of these species you worked with will come back and will be okay after this conflict? I think yes, and uh, especially with amphibians and reptiles, as soon as the... Uh, this is my personal like point of view, it, that uh, for amphibians and reptiles everything will be okay as soon as the war ends, uh, because uh, they need, like, one or two years to restore, just several years to restore the population if it's not affected by by human. So if nobody uh, like uh, touches their spawning water bodies, if nobody uh, like kills them on the road with the vehicles, and if nobody is polluting the the soil and their their habitats. Uh, I think they will be okay, but they will be okay on the territories that are not touched by people. And what about the territories that will be more intensively used by people? Every coin has two sides, so <laughs> there can be like both positive and negative things. But uh, I'm I'm more optimistic about this. And um, you know, just I know you have to go soon, but 
you're living in Kiev and Kiev is still a target. Um, how, I mean, are you, do you feel safe there? How do you feel, you know, staying there? Do you, is your plan to stay there? Uh, nobody can feel safe in, in Ukraine right now, unfortunately. But, uh, after all this time spent, spent there, I just don't care. Because when, uh, another rocket is shot or or another Shahed drone is shot down near our house uh, with this really loud noise and I uh, want nobody to hear this noise in, in his or her life. When my uh, wife wakes up and said, uh, oh my god, we should go to, we should go to the to the hall, we should go somewhere between two walls to feel safe, I say I usually say I want to sleep. Because if we can hear the if we can hear the noise, then the rocket is shut down. And if we are shut down uh, by a rocket, well, there is nothing to do else. <laughs> so um, it's uh, quite a strange logic. But um, when they, for example, uh, used to hit Kiev with rockets every night in May 2023, uh, really, I I. I really thought of losing my mind, uh, of uh, going to the hall every night, every night, every night, 3 p.m., uh, 3 a.m., 4 a.m., get up, good morning, let's go to the safe place. Uh, for one month, I, I don't know, I, I think it's... Sorry, Barrett. Um, I think it's a sort of, like mental attacks uh, that are prohibited by uh, Geneva Convention. Uh, but uh, since then I just, okay, I want to sleep during the whole night and I, and I don't care about any noises outside my home. If I got hit by a rocket, okay, that's my fate. Sorry guys, I did everything I can. Um, I did everything I, I could. Um, if not, okay, I, I, I still have uh, enough time to work, I still have enough time to, to help my people, to help my country, to help my uh, military, to help my army, uh, and let's do everything I can in the next day. And that's how I live for, 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 for two years intensively now, and that's how I live from 2014. So, <laughs> probably... Uh, this uh, this is a sort of, of a mental disorder, I don't know. <laughs> Do you feel like you've changed a lot since the war started? In of course, so uh, a lot of uh, values like changes for me, so I started to um, like to to take care of things that I didn't care, for example, earlier example I started to care about people that I don't know that's the that's the main change for example because uh, before the war uh, people that I cared about were like my friends my girlfriend or my wife right now uh, my parents and my relatives like my closest relative my uh, my clo closest people that I uh, that I take care of and now I uh, strictly, uh, I clearly understand that I can easily take care of people that I met for the first time in my life. If it is a refugee that is in need of help, no matter it is a woman, it is a man, it is a child, it is a elderly person, 
no way, no, no difference, I will help. I take care about soldiers, I don't know them, I, ne I will never see most of them, <laughs> but uh, I feel this need to care about people, and this is a really cool thing. Uh, I think for uh, probably not for me. Uh, it is a cool thing for uh, for us as a society, and uh, uh, it is a cool thing for me. For example, I started like to count money, because uh, before the war, it was like okay, I can spend some, I can spend money on some things that I don't really need. For example, I can spend money on additional pair of of shoes. That I really don't need because I have enough shoes. I <laughs> yeah, uh, or I could like buy another pair of AirPods in addition to those AirPods that I already have. And when war started, I I realized that I don't need like forty percent of what I'm buying, and I can use this money. I can use this resource more effectively, more uh, in a better way, in order not to fulfill my own like personal consumption needs i can use it for for other people and this is a really cool thing and i and i can see uh, how our our society uh, changes in the same direction so every people in ukraine feel the same uh, almost every people i don't i don't know about the entire population but almost every people i don't know i i know absolutely zero people who who don't donate to the army for example so all my friends, all, all all people that I met since the beginning of the war, of the full-scale invasion, everybody makes some donation. It can be like, it can be one dollar, it can be one hundred dollars, it can be one thousand dollars. Everybody do what he or she can do, and this is the coolest thing, and this is the coolest change for our society. I wish that uh, it should be like automatically. And, and not be inspired by so many deaths, so many fears, so many destruction, and so on. But anyway, it is how it is, and uh, this is this is what I think will help us to to win. And we are again for every people who will uh, see this podcast or interview. Uh, I'm really thankful for every people in the world who who takes care about us, who helps us, who donate, who supports us even mentally, anything. I feel absolutely thankful and grateful for everybody. Thank you. Yeah. Um, where can people like myself who live in the United States or, you know, outside of Ukraine, what can we do or where can we go to donate to your group or somewhere that might be helpful for your work? Uh, so there is, a, if you go to our website, Ukrainian Nature Conservation Group, just Google it, and there is a, a, a button that is called Donate or Support Us, something like that. And there are all the bank details the, in which you can support our activity. Uh, for some people in the world... Uh, it was it was a surprise for me, but I'm I'm not blaming any, anybody. It was just a surprise for me. For some people in the world, in the world, it is quite hard to to do, to donate to support some military uh, actions. So, for some of them, it is more comfortable to support some humanitarian actions. Uh, I don't know why. Uh, I'm not blaming anybody. It's just the 
an, an interesting phenomenon that I uh, noticed. Uh, and in our on the website of uh, Ukrainian Nature Conservation Group, for example, you can support our activity on collect collection of these uh, data on uh, biodiversity that I mentioned during my uh, during our interview. Uh, there are some activities that are uh, connected with support uh, to Ukrainian nature reserves and objects of nature reserve fund. So uh, we, uh, so our group is like a, is like an intermediate point in the, for this money, like to go to direct uh, recipient. For example, at the beginning of the war, we supported uh, Askania Nova. Uh, a really big biosphere reserve uh, in Kherson region. It is now occupied, but uh, when during the first uh, during the first time of occupation, uh, we supported it by buying, for example, food for animals, by buying some things for construction purposes, like for repairing of fences or, or something like that, uh, because they don't have financial support from that side obviously and they they didn't have and uh, money from ukraine can't go there uh, and now occupants so for for maybe one year now the people who ruled in the biosphere reserve or all, all, all of them are and the director of the reserve they are refugees in ukraine now so all these purposes are uh, mentioned on our website you can go there read it and support us. This will be cool. Well, thank you, Alexi, so much for taking the time. I really appreciate this conversation. Um, and thank you for sharing your story. And I'd love to stay in touch and see how you're doing and how your work's going. And um, I hope you stay safe out there. Thank you. We will. We will win and we don't have any choice. Thank you especially with the support of such great people as you and your audience and all other people all over the world so support and unite and unity is is what we need right now so don't forget about us let's stay for whole civilized world let's stay for democracy and something like that thank you thank you alexi i'll talk to you soon bye That was my interview with Alexei Marushchak. As mentioned, you can donate to the Ukrainian Nature Conservation Group by going to uncg.org.ua/en. Jasmine Hortop did a beautiful piece of episode artwork on Alexei that you can see at earthtohumanspod.com, where you can also see photos of Alexei in the field holding lots of snakes and frogs. Follow us on Instagram at Earth to Humans Pod, and let us know what you thought of today's episode by leaving us a rating and review wherever you're listening now. Today's episode was produced and edited by me, Serena Simons, and our music is by Blue Dot Sessions. 